Well, good morning, and glad you could be with us this uh, resurrection morning, and for those down in Fellowship 3 as well, so glad you could be here and uh, come uh, to our services this morning. Would you please bow your head in prayer? Our Father, uh, thank you for this opportunity. We, we come today um, as blessed people. Because if the resurrection had not taken place, we of all people would be most be pitied. But Father, um, because of the work of your Son, and that it was so complete and so satisfying to you, a righteous and holy God, you raised him from the dead. And there's no denying an empty tomb. I pray, Father, that as we spend just a few moments um, considering your word now, that, uh, Father, you would use this time to encourage our hearts, um, to draw us closer to you. This I pray, Father, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. This Wednesday, you know, marks the uh, 50th anniversary of the assassination of the great civil rights leader Martin Luther King, Jr., it shocked the world. It threw our country in turmoil. And then, a few weeks later, on June 5th, 50 years ago, uh, Robert Kennedy was assassinated. Lyndon Johnson, the president, had uh, uh, already announced that he was not going to run in that 1968 election. Kennedy had just won the uh, California primary and he's gunned down. A few weeks after that, in August, 50 years ago, violence broke out at the Democratic National Convention. A very unpopular war in Vietnam was raging. Chaos, violence, a world gone mad. I was 13 years old uh, that year. I guess a little bit of a news junkie back then as well, and I can remember sitting riveted uh, to the TV set, wondering what in the world is going to happen next. Any student of American history will know that 1968 was a crazy, crazy year. It was a horrendous time in the life of this country. Fifty years later, 2018, I now have a grandchild who's 13 years old. I think I'm still a bit of a news junkie, but it doesn't take someone glued to a TV set to realize this world is still messed up. Mass shootings, terrorism, um, rogue countries with nuclear weapons, a world gone mad. You probably remember the story of the man who was about to jump off the Brooklyn Bridge and another man ran up to him and said, stop, stop, stop. There's nothing so messed up in this world that would cause a person to jump to their death. You have to stop. And the man on the bridge said, listen, buddy, give me five minutes to tell you how messed up this world is and then I'll be willing to listen to you for five minutes and you convince me the good of this world. And at the end of 10 minutes, they both jumped off. That's the messed up world 
in which we live. We've been studying through the book of Isaiah here at Fellowship Bible Church. It's a fascinating book, uh, one of the most important books in the Old Testament, 66 chapters that um, tell it like it is, unfolding the plan of God, the heart of God, the purpose of God in this world. And it's a book like no other book that explains the way things are. I mean, Isaiah, even though he's writing 2,800 years ago, it's like he's, he's, he, it's like he's peering into our world today. This is the way things are. Life is no different today than it was 2,800 years ago. Isaiah said this in his opening chapter, verse 4, Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity. They've abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from Him. Is that not a commentary of our times? We look at the news, we watch TV, we see people who scoff at God, who mock Christianity. A messed up world. We live in a nation that increasingly shows evidence of having abandoned God. Over in verse 23 of chapter 1, Isaiah lamented, Your rulers are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe, chases after rewards. They do not defend the orphan, nor does the widow's plea come before them. He says in chapter 2, verse 7, Their land has been filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. They display their sin like Sodom, and they don't even conceal it. So too in our day and age. Washington, D.C. is is rife with scandal. The love of money, the pursuit after riches, yet hardworking people can sometimes barely eke out a living. America is diseased with the sin of sensuality and sexual perversion. They are as Sodom, and they don't even conceal it. A world that has gone mad. Isaiah says this in chapter 5, Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may pursue strong drink, who stay up late in the evening that wine may inflame them but they do not pay attention to the deeds of the Lord, nor do they consider the work of His hands. He says in verse 20, they call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. Is that, is that not a description of 21st century American living or, or the world? We live in a world that people call evil good. They call good evil. We live in a world where where darkness is seen as light. Isaiah 59, the whole chapter, we won't take the time to read it, but here's a portion of it. It just describes our day. They trust in confusion and speak lies. Their feet run to evil and hasten to shed innocent blood. They do not know the way of peace. There's no justice in their paths. We hope for light, but behold darkness. We grope along the wall like blind men, and we stumble at midday. I mean, does Isaiah nail this thing called modern-day living? 
like blind men groping along the wall. We live in a crazy world, in a world that's gone mad. Right before our eyes, it's being lived out. Woody Allen once quipped in his somewhat warped, humorous way. He said, more than any other time in history, mankind is facing a crossroads. One path leads to despair and utter hopelessness. The other, to total extinction. So let us pray we have wisdom to choose correctly. <laughs> Come on, Woody. Those are our options, and yet for many people, if you look at the news today, you, you see the unfolding sorrow and the saga of, of sinful man in this world. It's like, those are the options. Isaiah writes these words 2,800 years ago, but man, he nails it. This is the way things are. But he's a prophet, the prophet Isaiah. And not only does he tell us about the way things are, he also tells us about the way things will be. He's a prophet. He, he's been given insight by God Almighty to look into the, into the future of how things will one day be. Remarkable words, like in chapter 2. He says this, Now it will come about in the last days. In the last days. Many people will say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, that he may teach us his ways and judge between the nations. They hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. There's a day coming when peace will reign. Chapter 11, verse 6, he says this, the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child will lead them. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He's talking about a future time, a day that's coming. It says this in chapter 61, For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and the garden causes things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God, one day he will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Isaiah is telling us that the way things are will one day give way to the, the way things will one day be. Eternal peace, righteousness, joy will characterize this world. A coming day of, of, of world harmony, of peace, a reversal of, of the impact of the, of the curse and of sin. A coming day, it's almost inconceivable to believe it. Never in human history have we read and seen unfold the words that we've just read about the things that will be, because we're living in the things that are, and the stench of death is all around. But one day, the things that will be will be the reality. And we say, wait a minute, how? Are you kidding me? How, how is that going to happen? How in the world is that going to take place? I mean, did Isaiah kind of mess up here? Did he hear right from God? How is it going to be possible that this is going to happen? 
Well, Isaiah not only writes about the way things are, and in his 66 chapters, not only does he write about the things that will be, but Isaiah, like no other writer in the Old Testament, writes about the one who is the way, the truth, and the life who will make all these things possible. Isaiah is a book that tells us about the one who can transform this world. Here's what he tells us in chapter 9. A child will be born. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, Isaiah didn't get that from Handel. Handel got that from Isaiah. And yeah, we sing that and talk about that at Christmas time. The child will be born. Yet it, co- it continues and says, and there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. There'll be no end to the increase of his government or peace on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. This is an amazing prophetic word from the prophet Isaiah. There's going to be world peace one day because the prince of peace is going to come back to this world and reign supreme. And the things that are are going to give way to the things that will be because of the way the truth and the life will come and rule the world. But Isaiah identifies this one who is coming to set things right as the one who is a suffering servant. He is the one who first came and suffered and died and paid the penalty for sin. Isaiah spends chapter 53 telling us about this one. It's in chapter 53 that he says, this coming one was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was the one who was smitten of God and afflicted. In 53 verse 5, he says this, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. By his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he didn't even open his mouth. And like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, to its shears, like a sheep that is silent before its shears, he didn't open his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to death, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He was numbered with the transgressions, yet he himself bore the sin of many. He is the one who interceded for transgressors. Of course, Isaiah is referring to the wonderful good news about Jesus Christ. The wonderful good news of the one who came 2,000 years ago. 
and took our sin upon himself. The suffering servant who so loved us that he stepped from his throne in glory, became our substitute, and he died on the cross to pay for our sins. You see, the Bible tells us that sin is the reason for the way things are. Sin is the reason for the way things are. The sorrow, the sickness, the war, the inhumanity to man, the sickness, the disease, the way things are is because of sin. The Bible says that mankind is born in sin, that everyone born in this world has turned their back upon Almighty God. Sin has separated us from God. And the spiritual and the moral and, and the physical death, the stench of death is because of sin. But Jesus Christ came, the suffering servant, and paid the penalty for that sin. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening that should have fallen on us fell on him. And the Bible tells us that that suffering servant did such a perfect work that on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And he's alive. The hope that Isaiah wrote about of a coming day when this world will know peace and righteousness and the glory of God will shine throughout this world like, like the waters will cover the sea. That hope, that righteousness, that pervasive justice that will cover this world is all because Jesus Christ died and rose triumphantly. The transformation from the way things are to the way things are going to be one day is because there's an empty tomb. The way things are is because of our sin. The way things are going to be one day is because of Jesus Christ. And there is no hope in this world. There would be no joy and no hope of any future for this world if that tomb was still filled with a dead body of bones. But Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, Isaiah's writing and prophet after prophet and throughout the scriptures, we know that the way things are are going to give way to the way things will one day be because he's alive. And here's the wonderful thing for us today. Even while we are living in the mess of a world gone mad, even today as we read the reports and, and the news uh, accounts and, and we see the, the, the travesty of, of sin and the sickness and the disease and the stench of death in this world, and in our own personal world, the pain and the suffering that happens, even while we're living today, here's the hope. Because of Jesus Christ, 
peace and joy and comfort. Justice can be experienced today because he's alive. We can experience it because Jesus rose again. A.W. Tozer, the great Christian author, once wrote this, we must face today as children of tomorrow. We, we must face the way things are today as children of tomorrow, as, as the way things will be. We must meet the uncertainties of this world with the certainty, he said, of the world to come. We face the uncertainties of the day with a sense of the certainty of tomorrow. Why? Because there's an empty tomb. That's the only hope. Do you think we're going to figure out this mess of a life? Do you think if people in Washington, D.C. or the U.N. are going to figure this out? Are you kidding me? But Jesus rose, and he has a plan to take the things that are and transform them into things that one day will be because he's alive. Noted theologian Carl F.H. Henry once wrote this about the resurrected Jesus. He said this, Jesus planted the only durable rumor of hope amid the widespread despair of a hopeless world. Jesus alone planted the only durable rumor of hope amongst the widespread hopelessness of the world. That first resurrection morning, as the women came and they found the empty tomb and they heard the words of the angels saying, why are you sick and the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And they took that rumor of hope and they went to Jerusalem. They went to the disciples. It spread throughout Judea, throughout the Roman Empire. The, the durable rumor of hope in a hopeless world began to spread. And 2,000 years later, that rumor of hope is a message of truth. He's not dead. He's alive. And because he's alive, the things that are are going to give way to the things that one day will be. Jesus does that. All we do is goof. All he does is bring blessing because he's alive. We proclaim him today. And this one who can transform your world he can take your present reality and maybe not rearrange the current circumstances, but it will infuse your life with joy and peace and hope and righteousness because that's what Jesus does. Do you know him on this resurrection morning? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? As believers in Jesus Christ, do you know it? Sometimes we just need to tell our face that, right? He's alive. Sometimes, you know, we act like we've been baptized in lemon juice. Yeah, the things that are, are a mess. But it's going to give way to the things that will be. And even while we're living in the mess of today, we have a resurrected Savior. The suffering servant who died for us and rose again. And so he is alive today. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen Let's praise the Lord then.
Please bow your head in prayer. Father, thank you that we can know you today as our personal Savior. Thank you, Father, that because of what Christ has done, we can have a relationship with you for all of eternity, not based on our performance, not based on what we have done, but, Father, because of what your Son has done, and you have recognized it as a perfect work, and he raised him from the dead, that he is alive, that even now, in the way things are, we can find joy inexpressible and full of glory, peace that passes all understanding. Our life can be filled with meaning and purpose. Righteousness and justice will prevail in our life. And then one day, Father, we have the hope that the way things are going to give way to the way things will one day be because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you on this resurrection morning. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen.